I believe so much in systems and not at all in willpower. Welcome to Ladies First with Laura Brown. I'm Laura Brown, Editor-in-Chief of Instar Magazine, and each week I'm talking to a legendary lady about what she does, how she does it, and what we can learn from her. But this week, I'm passing the mic to InStyle.com Deputy Editor Laura Norkin, who sat down with Mrs. Dow Jones herself, Haley Sachs, to talk about how we can all live a bit richer in 2021. I'll be back next week with more ladies and more firsts. Haley Sachs, hello. You've been compared to a Disney princess who day trades. You were featured on the Fortune 40 Under 40 when you still had at least a decade to spare. And you've been given credit for teaching Gen Z what money is through memes. Thank you for joining us on Ladies First. Thank you for having me. So this February, you were featured as part of the InStyle magazine Badass 50. You were alongside activists, athletes. You had Ayanna Presley up there. We had that 10-year-old drummer on Instagram everybody loves. It was quite a group. It's really about women, we say, who show up, speak up, and get things done. And you earned your place on that list by empowering women. And I know that it's kind of a tough feeling to get right now when everything can be so tenuous, having that sense of control. I would love for you to take us through your trajectory a little bit about Mrs. Dow Jones, how that persona came to be and how you came to be where you are now. I grew up basically surrounded, like in Sex in the City, when they say that New York City is the fifth character, I feel like in my movie, money was the fifth character in my life because I grew up on that very side and was just always around finance and money and wealth and really never saw it as for me because I felt fun and that did not seem so fun. But, you know, like with most things, what you are denying or like running away from is usually the thing that you have to lean into the most. And so that really was what happened to me with money and with building this brand where I really needed to figure out a way to learn about this. I realized that no one is going to take control of my finances except for me. And so I needed to learn how. What I love about your platform is in general, in the world of money, the way that it is sent out to women, I feel like it's this really double-edged sword of like don't patronize us, don't speak to us as if women can't understand investing or don't have control of our money. But at the same time, if you don't grow up in that kind of family where there's generational wealth and investing is part of the conversation, you have to start somewhere. And a lot of people do have a lot of anxiety or stress around like, what do I even do with the extra money in my paycheck? Or how do I get to a place where there is extra money in my paycheck? If I can borrow a Laura Brown phrase, how do you thread the needle between not speaking down to people about those concepts while also really starting at square one with like, here's the first thing you need to know. Well, you know, I am a woman. And so I feel like that too with so many platforms. I feel like they do sort of speak down to you and like coated in bubble gum. And that just never appealed to me. I want to be spoken to not like in a way that is connected to my gender, but just in a way that like, I'm a person who should know this. So to this day, I maintain a fourth of my audience is male, which I'm really proud of. And I think goes to show you that like, you don't really need to 
focus so much on creating content for gender, but rather just for people. When I started, I was really against going into personal finance because there were so many of these female-centric brands telling you to get a crock pot and never get a manicure. And there didn't really seem to be anything that was coming out of it except for like my lifestyle would be worse. I mentioned growing up, I grew up around Wall Street and money and that whole world is about creating wealth. So I was like, oh, I want to sit with those kids. Like I'm not sitting at that table. I want to sit at that table. And so I jumped in really quickly into that group, into investing and cryptocurrencies and all of that. And then now I've had to backtrack because my number one goal is for people to invest. And obviously, in order to do that, you have to have your financial ducks in a row. But I think that the way that I've gotten into personal finance is unique and also really exhibits like the core qualities of my brand. We found our way there because we had to, but in no way is this about deprivation or about living a life that you hate. It's about actually living lavishly, whatever that means for you. That could mean, you know, living upstate and driving a Subaru or it could mean like being royalty in Dubai. Like, I don't know what your vibe is, but we'll get you there. But you just have to have financial goals and planning and then obviously grow your money in the market. So you're reaching people on Instagram mostly, right? I love Instagram. We love TikTok. We love YouTube. I mean, I'll go wherever wherever the people are, you know? But yeah, Instagram is definitely my shit because I love memes. I'm going to age myself now, but I feel like all the Gen Z people keep getting their minds blown on TikTok with like hacks. And then the hack turns out to be like putting a rubber band on your jeans button so your jeans fit tighter or like putting feta cheese in the oven. What's mind blowing about these hacks? Um, Are you seeing financial hacks and money tips rising to the surface on TikTok and are they good? I think with TikTok, what's cool about it is that there's such a thirst for knowledge. With Gen Z, like it just also shows like major gaps in knowledge. So it's like, oh, they didn't know feta could bake, but also, you know, they didn't know about passive income streams or about how to build wealth or ways to optimize taxes. And so I really use my space on TikTok to be like, let's, let's get rich. Let's learn how to grow wealth. But then I'm like, okay, let's start by not living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Do you find that your audience is sort of crossing that fourth wall with you and turning you into their own personal financial advisor? Like are people coming to you with questions for advice or are they interacting with you as more straightforwardly a meme account? No, no. I love posting memes and obviously we post a lot of memes, but like I feel like I'm so much more like a personality or a brand than I am like an anonymous memer. And I'm actually in school right now becoming a certified financial planner just to elevate my own status so that when I do get those inquiries from my audience, especially once I am licensed, I'll be able to direct them exactly to where they need to be. But yeah, I get so much, so many specific financial questions, but what's sort of great in a weird way is that a lot of them are the same. So it leads me to understand what content is necessary. What's the problem that you think is stressing out your followers most right now? 
I mean, look, money is very stressful. I'm not going to pretend that it's not, but why is it stressful? Because we don't know enough about it. And I always tell people, it's like, even Warren Buffett wasn't born knowing like what GameStop was. We all had to learn somewhere. And so really by starting, you're at the same place that everyone who's like you admire was too. And so what I really see with my followers though right now is just emotion and fear-based decision-making because there's so much in the zeitgeist around stocks right now and Wall Street and cryptocurrencies. And like, you know, this is all really fun fodder. Since I started Mrs. Dow Jones, all I wanted was for people to talk about the market the way that they talk about like Bella Thorne. (laughs) It should be hot gossip. I'm all for it. Like, let's make CNBC the new Bravo. Like, I'm down. (laughs) But also, let's do so with a grain of salt and recognize that, okay, these are high-risk investments and where am I in my financial journey? And also who do I want to be? Because in order to invest, you don't have to manage your portfolio every day. You don't have to even follow the markets. So I think there's a lot of emotion and fear around missing out or not doing it right. And so I'm working on my curriculum right now to release my courses, which will be coming out in Q2, which is finance for later this year. And, um, And, you know, hopefully give you actionable step-by-step advice to really, you know, take it step-by-step. Yeah. So what do you say when someone comes to you and is really at step one, like either they're paycheck to paycheck and they just feel like they can't catch up or um, they're ready to take that next step and begin investing in their future? What's like entry level, the first thing they need to do? For both, I would be like, hallelujah, you're here. We got this. We're going to do it together. Like, I'm just happy that like you're down to start because that's like a lot more than a lot of people can say, and you're going to feel a lot better. But before you go to work, you have to get ready to go to work. It's the same thing with investing. Before you start investing, you have to get ready to invest. And like, yes, the first step is not living paycheck to paycheck. Then, you know, it would be looking through your spending habits, figuring out your budget, making cuts, being flexible with yourself, because it does take time to really nail down a personal finance system that works for you. And I think that's also hard as people really just want it to be black and white and now it's over, but it's like a living organism. You have to really pay attention to it, but in the same way you can automate it and create systems so that it's not going to weigh on you so much. I think for a lot of people, that first step happens a little bit passively where they get the first job that offers a 401k. And then they're like, hmm, what's this about? That was what happened to me. Let me slide some of my paycheck in there. And then we instantly get divided between there are the people who want it to be like a set it and forget it type of situation. Like I put a few percent of my paycheck into the 401k. Hopefully it's going to earn me some money and I'll find out when I'm 65. Or people who want to roll up their sleeves and have more hands-on, you know, choosing their investments and interacting with the market. Um, What do you have to say about those two approaches? I am all for setting and forgetting it. I'm a busy girl. I've got a lot of things that I want to do. And I am all for anything that will make my life easier right? We're not all going to be Gordon Gecko. And by the way, when you invest in individual stocks, you create a huge risk in your portfolio because then you're being so weighted towards one company. So I'm really more in for like holistic, 
wellness around investing. And I think that you can accomplish that through A, creating a personal finance system that allows you to automate deposits into all of these places. So automate your deposit into your 401k and your Roths and take care of that, take care of your bills, make sure all of that is set up. Just a quick step back for the beginner. So say you're a set it and forget it kind of gal, you got your job, you got your 401k, a few percent going into there. What would be the next account or the next step that you would take? Is a Roth the next level of, of expanding your financial wellness? Absolutely. So yes, let's talk about retirement because that is definitely where I started as well. When I had my first job and they asked me about a 401k, I think people are confused also about retirement contributions because they're like, I want to work until forever. I love my job, you know, but you should still save for retirement because let's be real. Life is very random and you want to make sure that you have a nest egg, even if you're not planning on using it, because guess what? Things might change. You have no idea how you're going to feel in 10, 20, 30 years. So really saving gives you more flexibility later. Whereas by not saving, you are locking yourself in with no choice. But then this other reason why it's so great to safe retirement is because really retirement accounts are just like tax advantaged accounts so that you can maximize your earning potential, just like without Uncle Sam taking a damn bite. A lot of companies, if you work for a company that has a match, you should max out the matching program. Like your first thing you really want to do is say, do you have a match? And then you really, you have to make this Sophie's choice of like, you know, are you going to get the full match on your 401k? Or are you going to decide, okay, now I'm going to funnel my money into traditional or a Roth IRA, and I like the Roth IRA. I like IRAs in general. What do you like about it? Well, I like them because they're independent. They're independent retirement accounts. So you open it yourself, and you get more choice on your investments. And also, you're contributing taxed money. So that's really the difference here is with a 401k, you're putting in pre-tax money But with a traditional or Roth IRA, you're putting in tax money. So that means that when you withdraw that money in retirement, it is tax-free. But where do you put your money first? So say you're in a moderately comfortable situation with your job. You've got a little bit of debt, whether it's credit card, student loan, a car, but you've also got some savings going on. Maybe it's a 401k or a Roth or just an old-fashioned bank account. At the end of the month, if you have a couple hundred dollars left, where does it go first? Well, you would first have to organize your money, right? So really, you need to know first how much it costs to be Laura. So we need to know what it would cost, just bare minimum for you to live, because that's your emergency fund number. And before you start investing or doing anything else, We need you to save your emergency fund because without an emergency fund, if you get into a situation that is financially troubling, you could put yourself into debt. And emergency funds, you should keep in high, I say high yield savings accounts. I do not like checking accounts. Um, I think the only thing that you should really have in your checking account is the money that you need to pay like your bills that month. And I really like to have a system that's automated so that everything 
it's going into the right place. So if you were in that situation, I would say, okay, we have this extra money at the end of the month. If we know the number that Laura needs every month, say she needs $3,000 a month to live and we want to save a six month emergency fund. Okay. We need, you know, $18,000, which yes, like sounds like so much, but really we're just going to start by saving a thousand dollars. So maybe that's the extra that you have that month. So you put the thousand dollars into a high yield savings account, and then we would look at your debt and we would say, is this debt high interest rate debt or is it low interest rate debt? And the difference there is the magic number of 7%. If it is above 7%, then that is high interest rate debt because the stock market is known to have returns that are around 7% every year. And that's like the tipping point because if you put your money into the market to pay off high interest rate debt, then you're really losing money. Sure. So let's step back to just creating that picture, getting that picture of what your financial looks like. You have said in the past that you do your own budgeting on pen and paper, like the colorful markers and everything. Is that still the case? Or have you found an app or a program that you love? Girl, I wish that I had found an app or a program that I loved, but ultimately it has worked the best for me to like be very tactile with my money and like to create really a money date with myself where I go through and I highlight the different categories of expenses um, in my statements. What's the money date? It's like one night a month, you sit down, you have a drink. Definitely have a drink always. (laughs) Yes, dim lighting, of course. I like to do it on Sundays because I feel like Sundays are, Sundays are like the new Mondays. Like Mondays are supposed to be like, let's grind, it's Monday. But I like sort of love Sundays for that vibe. I sort of prefer to do it in the morning. I'm a morning person, well-documented, and I, you know, definitely create some sort of reward or incentive around it. So it could be mimosas. It could be, you know, I'm going to Russ and Daughters. I'm getting a really good, like, bagel. Whatever treat I want, I get it. Because, like, let's be real. Definitely find out what your financial situation looks like and then immediately get a $17 bagel in locks. Like, that's... 100%. For me, that is value-based spending though, because it's like, I'm not doing it every day, but like, that's like a fun thing to do um, when I deserve it. But the most important thing for here is like to really understand where my money is going um, and then figuring out where I would like it to go. So i.e. making a budget, which obviously does make me nauseous to even say and does also make me feel like I'm going to deprive myself. But I think that's why I have to like have the anecdote of a bagel or whatever, because I just remind, like, I'm like, oh, actually I don't believe in deprivation. So this is really about living my lavish life, about living a life that like feels good to me. I print out my last three months of statements. This is what I would do if I was starting. Right now I'm more familiar with my spending habits. So I wouldn't need to go through the last three months. I would really just go through the last month. But when I started, I would say go through at least the last three months and go through, highlight different color for every category that you have. So like maybe it's your bare bones expenses, your, you know, electricity bill, your wireless, your rent, things like that, that are not going to budge. And then, you know, maybe I have a color that's for, you know, entertainment. Did I go out to eat? Did I, you know, go get nail art? What else did I do? Like you can have as many categories as you want and sort of figure out what works for you. But the point is to sort of understand 
what your categories are so that you understand what you even like spending on. And a lot of times I'll go through it and I'll be like, oh shoot, like I went to that thing that totally didn't bring me any happiness. Why'd I do that? And then I know I can cut ruthlessly that out of my budget, but I can actually spend more on the things that I love and less on the things that I don't love. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to Ladies First with Laura Brown. This week, Laura Brown is away. I'm in Style.com Deputy Editor Laura Norkin, and I'm talking to Haley Sachs, aka Mrs. Dow Jones, about her favorite ways for getting financially smart. So there are a lot of apps out there that do this kind of categorization for people, or at least promise to put your wealth at your fingertips and make everything really easy. Are there any red flags that you would suggest people look out for if they are going the app route to stay away from? So here's my issue with the app is I would have like a fun ass weekend where I was like going out, having fun, whatever, and would find myself Sunday with like a money hangover and with a normal hangover, you can sort of like chug coconut water, maybe like go for a run or order bacon, egg and cheese, whatever the things are that you make yourself feel better, but don't really work. That's sort of like what I feel like the apps, the budgeting apps were for my money hangover. They were an antidote, but they weren't actually a solution. And I would go way too hard on them and create these budgets that were very extreme and that I could never live up to. Just being too optimistic. Too optimistic. And also I think like with things like Mint, they really over categorize. Say I didn't get a pedicure for three months. And then I go to get a pedicure. I mean, that'd be gross. Like the fourth month, they would yell at me and tell me like, I'd gone over my limit in that category, but it's like, I need more flexibility in my life where like, I can actually allocate to those entertainment fun moments in how I choose. And also I don't want to meticulously track every penny that I spend. I really have better things to do. And I don't like relying on an app or like a spreadsheet. I want it to be as easy and simple as possible because I'm not like a budgeting gal. This is not my vibe. So I really just want to know like, what are my expenses? You know, what are the things that I need to eat, to sleep, to breathe, to move, to live? These are things that really are absolutely necessary to your life that you could not cut out in case of a job loss. And then I like to have a bucket for goals too is really important. So you know, your emergency savings or your debt payoff or retirement or a mortgage or whatever it is that you're saving for is important. And then, you know, everything else. And I like to do first to do the highlight method because I always will find things that I'm paying for that I don't really need to be paying for, like subscriptions that I forgot to use for like a streaming workout that I, you know, signed up for as a joke. You do the free trial and then you just find out a year later, you're still paying for it or whatever. 
Exactly. That's sort of the first step. And then once we have that budget in mind, we can start to pay ourselves, which is so important because that's really the way that you're going to grow wealth. A lot of people wait till they've paid everything off to put money away to invest, but automating your savings is so important. Like this is how you will achieve your financial goals. Setting it and forgetting it. Saving it and forgetting it. I believe so much in systems and not at all in willpower. <laughs> I really don't. Like, can't be like, trusted. I can't be trusted. And I know for a lot of people who are living paycheck to paycheck, it seems sort of scary to automate your savings. You know, it sort of seems like something that you should do, like if you have your shit together, but it sort of is a way to get your shit together because you figured out how to have like $14 every month to afford your Netflix and you figured out how to, you know, pay your rent. And so you can hopefully find that money also for your automated transfer to your savings account. Well, something that you said recently that really struck me was that being frugal will not make you rich, that it's not about like self-denial. It's about finding out the income that is coming in and maximizing on that. I live and die by that because think about it, there's a floor to how much you can cut from your budget, but there's no floor to how much that you can make. So I really believe, yeah, in maximizing your income and figuring out ways to make more money. Whenever I've been in hard financial situations, that's where I've started mostly is, okay, but how can I earn more? Because right now it feels like I have to like trim everything down and it feels really like stressful and tough, but maybe I can like pick up this job or do this thing or sell that. And then I'll create more ease in my life. Um, it's also a way more hopeful way to kind of look at all of this. Yes. I think there's so much money advice that feels very punitive. Like if you're living paycheck to paycheck, then you shouldn't get a latte or you shouldn't get a pedicure one time a month or something. And like, maybe that's the one thing that that person was really looking forward to and really like holding on to the $20 or whatever it would cost. No, I'm um, not into money shame yeah. at all, but I am into systems and I'm also into pedicures. So, <laughs> you know, like I want you to go get that pedicure. I want you to feel hopeful about your life and I don't want money to feel so drab and completely scary and fearful and emotional. I, I, and, but it's also not your fault that it feels that way because it's never taught to you. Don't fault yourself for it. But also like, if you're here, if you're listening to this podcast, you're ready. Like, let's make this step together. How do you figure out what an added income stream would even be? Where does someone start? A good way to start is to really like, think about your, passion a little bit. I was talking to the, about this woman and I was, you know, asking her about her retirement fund contribution. You know, she started to tell me that she has her own business and, it, you know, all stem from her love of doing hair. And now she has a salon out of her house. And I think that that is a good place to start is really to think about like, is there something that you're doing in your life that actually you could be making money at? I don't know what you're special at, but I know that you're special at something. And if you, that's not your career, then maybe it can be your hobby and maybe that can become an income stream. So let's figure it out. So it's more about adding more money in and not always working on like highlighting things you can cut out, which takes me to something else. I saw you recently kind of going off about the fire movement. Not a fan. Yes. I have issues with fire. 
I do. So FIRE is financial independence, retire early. The actual movement itself, I have an issue with, but the core principles I'm into, which is always (laughs) what happens. Like people take it too far. So they tell you to save you 50 to 70% of your income, which is a ton. And obviously in order to do that, you would really have to cut down on your expenses. So, you know, you would have to downgrade your whole life. And it also definitely makes you like not into work anymore, which I thought was really lame because I love work and I get a lot of pleasure and like identity out of what I do. And also it's important to note, this was my big finding, like secret gossip truth that I uncovered about the fire movement was that it doesn't actually deliver financial independence because the bloggers who are telling you to do fire are making money on the blog. So they're telling you that they're done working, that they're living off of this money that they made when they're 27, but really passive income, passive income off of a hobby that they're passionate about, which is what we talked about. And it sounds like they're following Mrs. Dow Jones advice. If they're getting that passive income coming in, we should just go straight to the source. Here you are. Here I am. I'm ready to talk about it. But here's the thing, though. If you were someone who FIRE really worked for, I would be so supportive of you. Financial independence and well-being is sort of the same as mental well-being or physical well-being. You have to figure out what is your equilibrium, what really does work for you. And when there are these really strict prescriptions like FIRE, doesn't really give you that wiggle room to think independently. You're living someone else's dream. So to that point, your money is about yourself and your life and your dreams and goals, but we all have other people in our lives as well. And I don't know if you've heard, but there's a wedding boom coming. There's a there's a little a little pandemic going on. It's been a year and a lot of people have been engaged, planning weddings, postponing those weddings, and summer 2021 is gonna be like nuptial explosion. Holy shit. Yeah. So um, I know that it's always kind of a thing for people in this age range of how do you budget for other people's weddings? How do you fit that into your life? But maybe if you have any thoughts on getting us through the post-pandemic wedding boom, how we should plan for that help. Let's be real. We've been in a pandemic for a year. Who are you actually close with right now? Are you close with all the people who are going to invite you to the weddings? Or is it like maybe like two or three of those people and the rest are sort of like they maybe forgot to take you off the list and now you're like still on it and do you need to be at every person's wedding is the first question and then the second question is what can you afford rsvp yes can break your budget and We've heard a peak wedding season, and this sounds even worse. I hate to hear when people open up another credit card or take out loans. First, let's reevaluate how close you actually are to this like college roommate or high school friend, you know, and then also give yourself permission to skip it. It's called having boundaries. Like you can give yourself permission to say no. And if you don't want to say no to the actual event, you can say no to like all of the lead ups. We have to do the bachelorette. We have to do the wedding shower, an engagement gift. It's just cost after cost. So what about RSVPing no to the pre-wedding festivities and then just showing up at the event? I've heard of people bartering instead of doing a gift. So like, you know, if you're really, really good at calligraphy, what if you like made the place cards for them or, you know, you arrange the flowers 
let me do your flowers for your wedding as a yeah. gift. Like that's, you know, I don't want to buy them, but I'll arrange them. Like, you know, like put yourself to work. I'm also all for group gifts and like sharing rooms, borrowing an outfit from a friend or renting something like not, not having to buy something all new every time that you go somewhere. Also just not going is fine. You can say no without ruining a relationship. Just focus on the event and not declining it. Just blow smoke up their ass. Like be like, oh my gosh, I just got your invitation. It is Gorgina. You're getting married in Madison Square Garden. Like, oh my God, it's going to be so magical. You did such a great job. I'm so sorry I'm unable to attend, but I can't wait to like have coffee with you after and hear all of your stories and see the pictures and you're going to be such a beautiful bride. You're declining with such grace. And I've got to be real. This is the same way that I feel about not going to birthday parties. I do not think that you should have to go to every birthday party. Your birthday party is a day where you're surrounded by all of your closest friends. So like if you couldn't come to like a dinner that I was really looking forward to me and you, where it was just us, that sucks. Then I'm alone that night. But like, if you can't come to my birthday party, guess what, sweetie? I wasn't going to remember anyways. Cause I'm like drunk off the sauce, like whatever, you know? So it's the same thing with a wedding. It feels hurtful or hard to not do this, but like save the money. Just say, I want to take you for coffee after you're amazing, obsessed with you. You're the most beautiful bride I've ever heard of. Wow. Love you. Bye. You know? <laughs> Always compliments always help. When I told my team that I was having the chance to talk to you, everyone wanted to know about spending money on other people. It's really hard. So the game we're going to play is 10 gifts. I'm going to give you 10 gifting scenarios and you're going to talk us through what to give, whether it's a dollar amount, a gift idea, a graceful way to handle the situation. Okay, I love it. Let's do it. First one is your super close friend's wedding. What are you giving? Super close friend's wedding. I'm giving a photo album of all of the times that we've had together leading up to this day. And then maybe also going in on a group gift. A lot of people that I spoke to they want rules. Like they want to know I'm invited to this wedding. How much am I supposed to spend? What's expected of me? What am I buying? What's expected of you when you go to a wedding is usually to spend a hundred dollars, which is a lot of money, especially when you think about it in the context of all the other money that you're spending on the wedding. So an idea instead of going full in on the hundred dollars is to go in on a group gift that maybe costs like $200 with six friends and then supplementing that with something more thoughtful, like a beautiful card, photo, whatever it is. I love that. Okay. Gift number two, your coworker had a baby. Do you gift? How much do you gift? Okay. Coworker had a baby. I would either do a certificate for me to babysit the baby or I would give the baby a bond or I would send the mom a candle like from Otherland. I love Otherland candles. They're like $36, but this is depending how close I am with this person. If it's not your work bestie, no gift. Number three, adult birthday party. Adult birthday party, bring a bottle of natural wine. Ooh, do you have a favorite natural wine? 
I do, but I can't pronounce it because it's like random in French, but I will, I post it all the time, my Instagram story, but I'm obsessed with it because I buy by the case. So it brings down the cost per bottle to like $20, $21. And it's a really good wine. If I was buying it, it would probably be $27. So really makes you look good. We like to buy in bulk. Next is a coworker or employee like if someone were working for you, holiday gift. Well, this is different because if someone is working for you, I do think that you need to give them a gift, like a box of chocolates or you could give them a day off. It would be really nice. But if it was just a coworker, I don't know why you would need to get them a holiday gift. Excellent. Save your money. Okay. Next present is your friend's child's birthday. Okay. If you're going to the party then you should get something for the kid because they're spending money on the party and having you. But we can go back to what we said about bartering. You could say, oh, can I make the cake? Or you could go on Etsy and get them a really cute personalized plate. Kids are like so specific about like which plates they eat off of or like something like that. And they love their names. You know, kids like, love having a special plate, cup, bowl. Personalization is sort of a great hack. It sort of like cuts through the mask of things being expensive and just feels special because it's it's for you. Your younger cousin college graduation. Somebody who looks up to you graduated. What are they getting? I would just like give them a congratulations. I mean, am I going to a party to celebrate them? If I'm going to a party, I'm not obsessed with showing up empty-handed. So I would probably bring like a bottle of champagne or gift them some stocks or ask them, you know, if there's any, anything I can do to help them in this next stage, like put myself out there with my connections, which obviously are valuable too. Um, but then if it was just like random, you graduated and I like never see you, then it's just going to be like a congrats for me on the family thread. Sorry, bro. Okay, housewarming. Your friend bought their first home or moved into their first apartment on their own. I actually always got people the same thing for housewarming, and it is a gift, and it is an electric tea kettle. <gasps> Love an electric tea kettle. That was my pandemic purchase that changed my life this year. It's the best thing ever. It's not crazy expensive, but again, that's like for a best friend. I basically don't really like buy people things unless they're in like my very core friend group. But I also think it's fun to buy someone like Sage. Leaning into being woo-woo is a great budget hack. Like, oh, I'm going to like bless the space or I'm going to like whatever. Like, let me like pour apple cider vinegar like in the corners so there's no ghosts. Just make up a ceremony and that's your gift. Excellent. Um, Housewarming part two. Somebody cute just moved next door to you and you want to make a good impression. Well, I wouldn't jump in with getting them a gift, but is this pre-pandemic or are we post-pandemic here? Could be. Maybe then I would like have a party and be like, oh, I'm having people over. Like you could come through if I wanted to like hang, like get to know them. I'm not the person who's going to like bring you over cookies. With guys, I'm like, work for it, babe. Like, you know, like let's see a little effort on your part. Last one, your least favorite college friend's bridal shower. Oh, I've been there, girl. I like to get the Teek Nahan book, How to Love. It's very cute. And then I would either like get them like some crystals or flowers or something like that. 
Um, or I would not go because if it's my least favorite friend, why am I going to their bridal shower? All right. That was 10 gifts. You made it. Thank you so much. And you can see that we do repeat some. Really, it's either you're bartering, you're doing woo-woo, you're getting them a book, or you're actually getting them a legit present that you would want to get. And safety hatch, you're just not going at all is always an option. Mrs. Dow Jones, for a last final thought, what is one thing everyone can do tomorrow to protect their financial future? Follow Mrs. Dow Jones, but also set a money date with yourself and look at your money. And even if you're really confused and you don't know what you're doing, just by sitting down and doing it, you're going to find a way to work through it. And then ultimately by the end, I have faith that you will come out the other side and know a bit more about where your finances are. And then you can pick up the next day and the day after that and keep building. And, you know, eventually you will be Warren Buffett. So excited for you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been Ladies First with Laura Brown. We can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Savarese, Danielle Roth, Anne Ford, Anne Kane, and Erica Wong. And thanks to Brian Anstey, Molly Stout, and Haley Mason at InStyle. You can find out more at InStyle.com. Find us on Instagram at InStyle Magazine, on Twitter at InStyle, and you can find me on Insta and Twitter at LauraBrown99. 